Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about self-harm. Well, I am uh, thankful to have with me today my friend and uh, fellow brother pastor, Brian Gaines, with me for this conversation. Uh, Brian is the pastor of leadership and discipleship at Grace Community Church in Glen Rose, Texas, and uh, he's also one of our uh, teachers and contributors to the CBCD website and conferences, and uh, but most of all, he's a, a dear friend, dear brother, so Brian, so good to have this conversation with you today. It's good to be back with you. So we're going to talk today about self-harm, and uh, sadly, we have to talk about topics like this. In a broken world that's full of sin and suffering, uh, we know that um, not just an increase in self-harm in recent years, but certainly more awareness of it as well. Mm-hmm. So for those that might not be familiar with what we're talking about when we, we use the term self-harm, maybe we can start just by giving us uh, a definition of self-harm and perhaps some examples of what that might look like. Yeah, certainly. You know, it's unfortunate that we even need to have this conversation, but this is a very real issue uh, in our day and as we'll see um, certainly throughout history. But self-harm is, is basically intentionally doing harm to one's body in a very basic definition of that. Um, uh, a label given to that in our day is NSSI, so non-suicidal self-injury. And and so basically somebody is harming themselves without the intent of, of actually killing themselves. And so examples of that that are most common, um, cutting would probably be the one that most people have heard about. Uh, about 80% of those who self-harm uh, statistically do so through cutting. And so they may uh, use a razor or uh, uh, whatever they can find, a piece of cut glass, a paper clip, and and cut themselves oftentimes in places where nobody else would see. Uh, a lot of times it's kept hidden. Other people will do it where it is seen um, because they want to be noticed for that. Uh, but cutting would be the most uh, prevalent. You know, other things would be like head banging, um, just banging your head against a wall. Uh, my first, uh, I guess, encounter with self-harm was with a young man who actually banged his head against the desk so hard that he knocked himself out. And so head banging is, is one element of that. Another would be burning. So maybe taking a, a lighter or a cigarette butt and just burning oneself and harming oneself in that way. Uh, hair pulling, which you've done some sessions on that in the past, uh, is also a common uh, way in which people will harm themselves. Picking scabs. Uh, I would put anorexia and bulimia in that category. That is certainly a way in which um, harm is done to the body, especially when it's done over a period of time. And then another one that would be common would be substance abuse. Um, and, and these are things that even in the past couple of years have seen a mixture of those two, the eating disorders uh, mixed together with substance abuse or alcohol. And usually we think of self-harm as that which younger individuals do. Uh, and the cases that are coming to mind right away, there was one lady who was in her 60s who um, struggled with anorexia and to the point that all she would, would drink ultimately was alcohol, wound up in the hospital and died a couple uh, days later. That was not her intent. She was not seeking to kill herself but just the repercussions in the long term of that took her life. Uh, another example of that 
have an older man that I'd worked with who struggled with bulimia, also uh, enslaved alcohol and, and those two things uh, while still alive, as far as I know, um, certainly did a great amount of devastation to his to his body. And so those are just some examples of, of ways in which people might self-harm. That's very helpful to try to get our minds around that term, and even some people may not be familiar with the term that you use, so that's very helpful. So so let's go to another question. Uh, who's most likely to struggle with self-affliction or self-harm? Who, what, what are the demographics that we're looking for here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, so there's there's nothing new um, under the sun. Um, in, in our ministry through Grace Biblical Counseling, uh, the history of that is primarily younger people, uh, oftentimes young ladies, and oftentimes that is done um, to escape emotional pain, which we'll, we'll talk more about. But usually younger people, uh, but this is not just a U.S. issue. Uh, this is an international issue, as you're well aware of. Uh, we take a trip. In fact, we we're just talking about that every um well, a couple times a year we go down to Guatemala and our church works with a home there for children and, and young adults, uh, young ladies primarily. And we have found that many of them self-harm as well. Um, people who come in who have been uh, abused, just all sorts of horrific stories and self-harm has become an outlet for them and a practice for them. Uh, we just had the privilege to, uh, through Dan Kurt, to, to teach uh, overseas to the Ukraine and, and Israel through some some individuals there pursuing biblical counseling training. And one of the topics that they asked for was self harm. And so again, this is a universal problem, but it, it's it's nothing new. Ecclesiastes one nine says, "What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done." And there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, if you go back to the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19, uh, verse 28, the Lord uh, forbid Israel to take on the practices of the pagan nations around them, one of those being self-harm, cutting themselves. We see that exemplified in 1 Kings chapter 18 with the great showdown uh, with the prophet Elijah there with the, uh, the 450 um, prophets of Baal. And, and what did they do to try to get their idol, their God, to reply to them? It says they cut themselves after their custom. And so this was a pagan practice that the Lord forbid his people to participate in. And even into the New Testament, Colossians 2.23, uh, Paul opposes um, the practice of severity to the body. And why is that? He says in Colossians 2.23, because man's self-made religion has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, and so we'll look at some of the motives of that here in a moment. But statistics today is almost one in five people uh, either have self-harmed or are currently self-harming. And so this is not just something that happens elsewhere. And it, it's, it's really surprised me in the context of the church how many people who have come in the church for counseling are believers from other churches who self-harm. This is a very real issue. Yeah, we've seen the same here in our uh, church's counseling ministry as well. It, it's prevalent, and like you said, a lot of times they're they're doing self harm in areas that are hidden by their clothes. So mm-hmm. it's a silent struggle for a lot yes. of people, and, and that makes it particularly difficult. 
So help us understand why would somebody want to harm themselves? What compels them to self-harm and and maybe why would they even do that on a regular basis? Yeah, so I think as we try to understand this from a biblical perspective, uh, self-harm is a result of a desire that ultimately fails to trust God and his promises, his provisions. Ultimately, as with the prophets of Baal, um, it's a form of idolatry. Uh, self-harm is definitely connected with idolatry. As with all idolatry people, self-harm is a sinful response to something that they did not want. Something happened to them, perhaps such as abuse, uh, or in not getting something that they did want, uh, such as approval. Um, they were not, they did not get the acceptance that they wanted. There was a sense of rejection, and their way of dealing with that was, was self-harm. And so uh, when I first canceled someone who self-harmed, uh, as probably most people, I thought it was bizarre. Um, what in the world is going on? This is really strange. And yet in asking questions, some of the questions I asked were those of Paul Tripp that I learned in a parenting class. And so those four questions that he put forth I thought are very helpful in working with somebody who's self-harming. You know, the basic question is what was going on? Um, you know, what was your situation? What were your circumstances uh, that you would self-harm? And, and sometimes that may be, you know, my parents, again, had this terrible fight, and I just can't deal with the emotional pain, and, and so I went in and self-harmed. Um, perhaps they're just watching the news, and there's a, a report of somebody being abused, and perhaps they have been abused, and it just brought up again all that emotional harm. And so, what what was going what was going on? Another question: What were you thinking, feeling? Um, perhaps they were just angry. Um, they were overwhelmed with with grief and sorrow or guilt. Um, and so what they do in response? Well, they went to whatever their outlet is of self-harm. They went to their, to the bathroom, uh, to the bedroom, wherever their outlet is, and they harm themselves according to that, which oftentimes by the time they come to us, there's this pattern, there's this custom, there's this practice that's already in place. And so they've run to that again. And ultimately a question then, what did you want? What were you seeking after? And oftentimes it's, I wanted to get uh, all these terrible thoughts, these emotions out of my head. I just could not deal with it. And so ultimately they wanted relief. And so relief can be the idol um, for those who self-harm. It's to um, deal with either the guilt or the suffering. They just don't know what to do. And so the, the self-harming uh, seeks to bring them a sense of temporary relief or or satisfaction. So people will self-harm in order to escape uh, emotional pain, um, to find a sense of rest, to seek to regain control. It kind of takes the, the edge off their situation. But in doing so, it's kind of like people who turn to, to alcohol or to pornography. Uh, they become mastered by that which they turn to. It becomes enslaving to them. And so oftentimes, without thinking about it, uh, those who self-harm are seeking to deal with the hurt in their own way rather than seeking out God's way. Uh, self-harm is is the easy way out. It feels right, perhaps, in the moment, um, but ultimately becomes an, an idol, a God replacement. They run to that rather than run to, to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful to just try to understand why would people want to do this and and then they kind of get stuck as you said in a cycle or a ritual mm-hmm. um, and and so much of of sin is uh, enslaving you know, mm-hmm. it's a good biblical word so let's move now to think about 
how do we help somebody? And maybe it's formal counseling, biblical counseling that are biblical counselors that are listening to this recording, who may not have a lot of experience with this, or or maybe they have a new case, or maybe it's just a parent mm-hmm. whose daughter or son is doing some sort of self harm. Give us some tips or some pointers on how we would counsel somebody who self-harms. Okay. Yeah, I think very, very important that we come alongside them uh, in love and and with compassion. And so perhaps uh, a teenage son or daughter goes to a father and, and confesses you know, that they've been self-harming, or perhaps they're caught in self-harming. And what we don't want to do is say, that's really stupid. You know, you need to stop that. That's just not helpful. That's not biblical counseling. We need to really seek to understand the situation. So James 1, 9, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so we really want to seek to understand their situation. What was going on? Again, what were they thinking? Um, why did they pursue this means of dealing with whatever their struggle is? But to know the, the heart struggle behind the behavior, very, very important. As with all biblical counseling, right? We want to gather good data. We want to seek to understand them, what they're after, what they're running from. And so ask lots of, of good questions. And I think Ed Welch, uh, in his booklet, I think called Self-Injury, dealt with this well. He talks about a cycle. There's some kind of, of stressor that comes about. And their way of dealing with whatever that stress is, is to self-harm. And, and why people might do that, I know that's bizarre, and how, why would people run to self-harm? Oftentimes, there's a physiological response to that. Uh, the body produces chemicals where there's a sense of, of feeling good or just the harm from the physical self-infliction releases them from the emotional turmoil that they just can't deal with. And so they will self-harm. Uh, and then, of course, after that self-harm, there's an immediate sense of relief to some degree. There's rest from their emotions or whatever it may be. Uh, but again, um, that's temporary and they know that's not right. Um, and, and so then there's a sense of guilt and regret of what they have done. And at this point, if they do not repent, if they do not look to, uh, to Christ, um, then when that stressor comes again, and it almost always does, then they're tempted to fall back in to that pattern again and self-harm again. And, and the longer they do this, um, they, they begin to see this as the remedy for their struggles. And so again, you mentioned it's, it's often something that's secret. Uh, there's probably people that we all know who self-harm and we have no idea that they would even be doing that, but it's, it's their way of finding relief and a remedy um, that is apart from looking to Christ. And so, of course, the Bible presents a better way, right? And Hebrews is all about the better way, uh, the better way being the person in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God that he's given to us. And, and in this better way, um, there is no guilt, there is no regret, and so we take them to Christ. We want it to be, as, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, we want them to be compelled or controlled by the love of Christ. Somebody who self-harm is not compelled or controlled by the love of Christ. They're being controlled by their thoughts, by their emotions, by their circumstances. 
Um, they're losing sight of, of the gospel. And, and self-harm really then is a means of living unto themselves, looking to themselves to remedy their struggle in and of themselves, rather than uh, no longer living for themselves, but for Christ, who for our sake died and was raised. And so that's where we want to, as with any other life issue, take them to Christ. Uh, he is the remedy um, for all of our struggles, and, and in him we need to look in all things. And so as we as we think about those who self-harm, uh, and we ask questions, we're going to find usually there's there's lies that they're believing. There's things that they're telling themselves. And just some examples of that, uh, people who self-harm often believe that it's necessary. If they want relief, it is necessary that they self-harm. And it does bring them usually a sense, uh, temporary uh, relief. But in that, they need to know that relief ultimately is found in Christ. In fact, Jesus' very invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight is, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so they seek rest in an act that they commit by their own hands, uh, but the rest they ultimately need is in, in Christ. In fact, as Augustine said, uh, the heart remains restless until it rests in God. And and we want to help them to to look to Christ as their rest, as their refuge. Another lie that is often believed by those who self-harm is that they must in of themselves regain control. And so sometimes people who self-harm um, have been abused. Something happened to them that was outside of their control. And to deal with, with that emotional pain, then they'll seek to self-harm. But, but we look at examples uh, of Joseph. You know, lots of things happened to Joseph that were outside of his control. And we need to help them, as with Joseph, to see the goodness and the sovereignty of God, that what others intended for evil, God intended for good. And so in the midst of a very real difficult life circumstances, to help people understand that, that God is good, and God is sovereign. And as Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good. Of those who love God. And that good oftentimes is beyond what we can even um, fathom. Uh, but that ultimate good in verse 29 that Paul puts forth there is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And so how is God using even this struggle, even our sufferings, to cause us to look unto Christ and to become more like him? And so again, it's Christ to whom they need to look. And other lies they might believe, self-harm, um, is acceptable. This, this is okay. You know, this, this helps me not, not take my anger out on my spouse or other people. I harm myself. It releases that emotional tension and therefore I don't harm somebody else. So this is actually acceptable. But as we see in 1 Corinthians, um, we were bought at a price and we are to glorify God with our bodies. And of course, glorifying God with our bodies doesn't mean harming the, the temple of God. Uh, a couple other lies uh, is a lie that I'm all alone in this struggle. Uh, no one else knows one, um, but then also there, there's nobody who can truly help me. I am on my own. And yet what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.13, there is no temptation which is not common to man. And, and so this is a common temptation. Many, many people do struggle with this. Uh, but realizing the truth that we are not alone, God is omnipresent. Uh, Christ has promised to be with us to the very end of the age. He is, Psalm 23, that good shepherd who, yes, does make us lie down in the green pastures beside still waters, but also 
uh, is with us through the through the dark valleys, to the valley of the shadow of death, and uh, His rod and His staff comfort us. And so, we need to believe the truth that Christ is with us and for us, and nothing can separate us from His love. And perhaps a final. Uh, a final lie that is believed is that uh, I must self-harm in order to self-atone. And people have been told you're worthless, um, whatever, perhaps a parent or somebody else has told them they believe that lie, and therefore they believe they need to punish themselves. And that actually makes them somehow feel better because they have punished themselves. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that thought one Sunday morning as we were taking uh, communion at the Lord's Supper, and and just how much the gospel comes through at, at communion, that no, we don't need to shed our own blood. That cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. He atoned for our sins. We cannot add anything to that. Uh, but not only did he atone for the sins, but he also is now at the right hand of the Father as our sympathetic high priest, and he's the one to whom... Uh, we look because he has conquered sin and death and he is with us and uh, he enables us to do all that is pleasing to the father. And so those are some of the some of the lies. I guess some other practical ways besides understanding the lies are believing and speaking the truth and the sufficiency of the scriptures into their to their life is, is helping them with the spiritual disciplines. And so oftentimes people who are self-harming, they are not in the Word in a meaningful way. They are not praying in a, in a biblical way. And so to to just come alongside them, pray with them, pray for them, help them learn how to pray biblically, uh, have them in the Word, have them also um, uh, opening up to fellowship with other believers, to be encouraged by other believers, to even go and serve other people, uh, to, to know the joy uh, that God intends for them in serving other people. I think uh, as far as other believers come alongside us, currently we're going through a study at our at our church of uh, Pilgrim's Progress and Wayne Mack's two-volume commentary called Christian Life Issues. And in there we have uh, a situation where at this point in the journey it's Christian and hopeful. And they're going down the path, and the road gets a little bit difficult, gets rocky, and they look across the fence, and there's bypass meadow. And it looks good. And the grass is green, it's lush, it won't hurt their feet. And Christian convinces Hopeful, it'll be okay, we can take this and be all right. Well, you know the story. They wind up in, in Dadding, Dowding Castle with giant despair, uh, beaten and left in prison, starving, just a very difficult situation. And, and giant despair comes to them with a lie that you might as well go ahead and put an end to yourself because there is no hope. No one escapes. And and he gives them three options in which they can self-injure. And, and Christian's seriously considering doing that. And yet Hopeful comes along and reminds them of who God is and how God has delivered others before them. And so with that encouragement, he continues on. And then finally, <laughs> days into this, they do something that uh, that is mind-boggling. They pray. <laughs> They've been so focused on their situation that they had not even taken the situation to the Lord in prayer. And so at midnight, they began praying. And early the next morning, it dawns on Christian that he had been given the key. And the key was the promise, which represents the gospel. And they realized it is this key, the gospel, that opens every door. And they were able to then escape from from. Uh, Doubting castle and giant despair. And that's what we hold out to people. We have a hope. We have a living hope. 
and it is in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who self-harm need to be reminded of who Christ is and his sufficiency and his goodness and that there is a better way, and it is to look to Christ. And in him, um, we are more than overcomers. In him, uh, through through his shed blood, uh, people do not have to shed their own blood. Uh, they need to look rather to Christ and his sacrifice and his presence with them. And and that ultimately is, is what we do as biblical counselors, right? We take them to the Word of God, we take them to Christ, and we remind them the hope of the gospel. You know, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, I hope that you tracked with what Pastor Brian just said, that the gospel and the person work of Jesus are robust and comprehensive and powerful. And so often Christians don't think about that reality in relation to things like self-harm that, mm-hmm. that are serious issues that sometimes are scary and overwhelming. And yet what we're learning in this podcast is that Christ truly is sufficient for even difficult challenges like that. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, uh, if you're a friend of somebody to point them to Christ and the sufficiency of the gospel and, and making those connections the way that Brian just described for us, Uh, is really the avenue of help and hope, even in very difficult situations like self-harm. So thank you so much, Brian, for articulating all of that. If this has sparked your interest, uh, Pastor Brian is going to be giving a workshop on this topic at our fall Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship conference that uh, will be right here in North Texas. So if you have not signed up for that conference and you would love to get training, maybe in the foundations of biblical counseling and discipleship, or maybe in one of our advanced tracks, we would love to invite you to participate in that conference over three weekends uh, this fall. And uh, you can read more about that conference and sign up at thecbcd.org, as well as read about um, other trainings that we do and and, uh, find other resources that we've put up there. And if you'd like more information about about Pastor Brian Gaines and the Ministry of Grace Community Church, a Bible teaching church right here in North Texas, you can visit them at gccministries.org. Thanks so much for listening today.